going to be talking about caregiving, and uh, I'll be out on the 28th, and so we'll conclude, uh, I guess, my time with you uh, on the 21st, but I'd like to take probably three weeks to look at uh, caring for our loved ones, caregiving, and I hope to learn from some of you. Uh, some of you are the experts. You've been there, and you've done it, and you've done it better than Steve. I told you if you came back this week, I would tell you a little story of my experience with caregiving. A number of years ago, I guess it's been a while now, uh, Wanda and I decided that we, we wanted to get out of debt, we wanted to travel some, and so... We got the wild hair to purchase an RV, so we sold our home, literally, bought an RV uh, while I was teaching at another university, and during the summer we were going to travel, and we were going to live in the RV and pay off some debt and such, and uh, so we bought a fifth wheel, a 28-foot, and... We're off on our first trip. I mean, like, hey, a new adventure for us. And we go up to Montana where my daughter-in-law's parents live, and we visit with them a day. And then we're, we're going up, we're planning on going on up to the glaciers. And our first, you know, adventure in our new old fifth wheel, all right? And uh, so we're traveling up. Towards we we kind of come over to the uh, what mount what park is that there yeah Yellowstone is it no it's not Yellowstone it's uh, where yeah anyway uh, anyway we're traveling up to the glaciers uh, none of you got it right and I didn't either uh, we're traveling up to the glaciers and my daughter-in-law sees this sign for the uh, uh, these caverns you can go in, you know, like under the ground. And uh, they just spontaneously said, well, let's stop. Let's stop. And we're like, yeah, okay. And so we stop and we go down in these caverns, you know, where they have the stalagmites and all that sort of thing, right? And that's a neat experience. And the leader said, hey, be really careful that you hold on to the rails and and uh, you don't slip, some of the places are wet, and my lovely wife is, follows instructions. She's holding on to the rails with two hands, and bless her heart, she takes a step on a wet rock, and her ankle turns and breaks to where it's like sideways. Oh, it was bad. And it wasn't the normal way you break an ankle, like turning it inward, it was like outward. Oh, it was oh, it wasn't good. Well, they didn't have any way to get her out of the caverns. I could not imagine they were so ill prepared. Uh, it was Lewis and Clark caverns, by the way, that they were so ill prepared for someone getting injured. My son Alan and I literally, I got at her feet and he got up under her arms, and we literally lifted her one step at a time, two hundred some odd steps back. It took us an hour and a half, two hours just to get her out. They didn't help us. I still think that's bizarre. But anyway, keep a long story short, she had emergency surgery that uh, evening, 
And the next morning, we take off for the glaciers again. She's going to tough it out. Well, she makes it about an hour, and the pain is so intense, she's like, this isn't going to work. So anyway, we pulled that uh, RV back uh, to Abilene, and we were uh, living in an RV park, you know, which was about eight miles outside of uh, town there. And uh, we... We're going to live in our RV now with Wanda's broken ankle. Now, I'm here to tell you, she, she couldn't so much as flush a commode with her broken ankle in that RV. And then everywhere we would go, I would have to help her get down the steps of the RV, and we had a wheelchair that we would load up in the truck, and I would have to take it wherever we would go. And so our daily routine would be something like, uh, Steve would go into work, and then maybe Wanda would call me and say, hey, I've got a rehab appointment, and need you to take me to rehab. And so Steve would drive eight miles out to get Wanda out of the RV, down the steps, wheelchair in the back of the truck, and drive her to rehab while I went back to the office trying to get a little work done. And in an hour and a half or so, she would call me and say, hey, I'm out of rehab, can you come pick me up? And I'd stop what I was doing, go pick her up, do the wheelchair thing, take her out to the RV, back up the steps. I'd go back to the office trying to get a little work done. A few hours later, I'd get a phone call from Wanda. She says, I got a hair appointment. I'm like, 2 o'clock, hair appointment. I would drive 8 miles, kind of out from you know, where I worked and picked her, the whole routine out of the RV, into the truck, wheelchair, take her to her hair appointment, run back to my office, try to get a little work done. Hour later, she calls me and says, I'm ready to be picked up for my, you get the picture. That kind of became a daily routine. And I'm here to tell you, you ask, well, what kind of caregiver were you, Steve? You see, uh, frankly, I've missed out on that with my parents. My mother had emphysema, and uh, her final years were difficult, but I was living in Texas, so older brothers were taking care of my aging parents, and I kind of missed out on that. But here was a real test of Steve as a caregiver, right? And I'm here to tell you, I did really well. You would be so proud of me. As a caregiver, I did really well for 30 days. And I'm here to tell you, on day 31, I was angry. Are you with me? Serious as I can be, I did well with it for 30 days. And on day 31, I was angry. I was tired of this daily routine. I was tired of this infringing on my schedule and not being able to get what I needed done and all of that. I'm here to tell you there's an emotional cost that comes with caregiving, and that is only 30 days. My sister-in-law, Mary Dean, is one of the, uh, she passed away last summer, if you remember. She was one of the strongest Christian women, ladies, I know, she was also a very strong personality in terms of uh, she had a fortitude about herself, a strength about herself. 
And when my mother's emphysema reached a point where she just needed additional care, they moved my mom to my brother Larry and Meredith's place. And Meredith kept her day job teaching school, and then she would come home, and, and she got the lion's share of taking care of my mother, as women oftentimes do, right? And she did that, I believe, for four years. She faithfully took care of, she'd, she'd be on her knee, knees washing my mother's feet. And uh, she was faithful in her care for my mother. But I'm here to tell you, at about four years, she reached a breaking point where she couldn't, couldn't go anymore, couldn't do anymore. Something had, she was at a crisis in her own life now as a caregiver trying to care for my mother. And that seems to be true about caregiving. If we're not careful how we do it, we end up with two patients and not one. Or two that are hurting and struggling and not just one. You with me? It's kind of complicated, doesn't it? Uh, if you don't mind the stories, I got, well, maybe one short one. I remember when we were moving out to West Texas 25 or so years ago. We, uh, we had agreed to rent a house from a family, and the story was they were moving mom to assisted living place, and we would then rent her house. And so just a few days before our U-Haul was, you know, to leave Mississippi and head to West Texas, we get a phone call, and they're like, hey, we can't rent you the house. We're like, yeah, what's the deal? And they said, we got there, and we were packing mom, all mom's things, and we were putting them in boxes and such, and mom won't leave. She wouldn't leave. Mom refused to leave. And they said, we're not going to be able to rent you the house, and which created a quandary for us, of course, but it, it says something about those difficult decisions of aging and how we go about making those decisions and we help our loved ones transition maybe from one lifestyle to another. It's pretty tough and it gets pretty complicated, doesn't it? Isn't that just a good illustration of, hey, it's hard. These decisions and changes are hard. And uh, oftentimes there's no easy answer. And so how do, we, how do we deal with all of that? And that's kind of where we're going to try to go over the next few weeks. And I'm going to suggest to you that, that this week will be somewhat more general in terms of maybe uh, caring for a spouse. Mike would fit well with what we're doing this week. And whenever we get done with there, we're going to look a little more specifically about caring for an aging parent, kind of through the eyes of children who want to care for their aging parents, need to, and also through the eyes of aging parents who have a growing dependency and a growing need. Can we look through their eyes? We're going to go there. Uh, here in the next few weeks. Uh, difficult decisions. 
My sibling doesn't want to help me care for our aging mother, but she doesn't want me to put her in an assisted living either. Or my father won't give up the car keys when he needs to give up the car keys, right? I don't know if we'll have time to get to all of those, but there's some really tough transitions, tough decisions that have to be made with aging and caregiving. Hey, and I hope along the way to hear from some of you. Some of you have the stories that can put a face on the conversation for us, and if you're kind of open maybe to sharing some of that, uh, speak with me, talk to me. Well, as we should, let's begin with the biblical principles of caregiving. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, watch this. Hey, you want, you want to know what religion that's, that's pure and faultless looks like? To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, I don't know that scripture in any place directly uses the term caregiving or caregiver the way we do today and the way we will be talking. But I would suggest to you that all through scripture, godliness and righteousness are defined as caring for, for defined as helping those who cannot care for themselves, who are vulnerable and have a great dependency on others. In fact, uh, one of the best stories, illustrations of caregiving in Scripture, as you know, would be the book of Ruth. As it is a great biblical story of caregiving, as it provides an intimate glimpse into the private lives of an Israeli family. Ruth, a Moabite, demonstrates a complete loyalty to the Israelite family into which she has been received by marriage, right? You remember the story. Widowed, Ruth, widowed, and at great risk herself, vulnerability herself, she demonstrates a total devotion to her widowed and desolate mother-in-law, Naomi, which is a powerful example, watch this, of how family cares for family, isn't it? How family cares for family. If we go over to Job, the lamenting of Job, chapter 31, 14 and following, watch this. What will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to an account? Hey, Steve, we're going to call you to an account of how you cared for Wanda (laughs) in her time of need, right? What will I answer when called to an account? Watch this. Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? If I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth I reared them as a father would, and from my birth I guided 
the widow. If I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing, or the needy without garments, and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with the fleece from my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder, let it be broken off at the joint. For I dreaded destruction from God, and for fear of his splendor, I could not do such things. Always oh, talking about how we care again for widows and orphans, or in general, those who are in need. Perhaps one of our best uh, biblical principles and motivations for how we care for one another and for our loved ones and such would be Matthew 25, 34 through 40. You know the story where Jesus is speaking. Would you allow me to paraphrase it just a little bit, to tweak it a little bit as would apply to our conversation, caring for aging loved ones? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Could I paraphrase that and say I could no longer live alone and you took me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. Could I paraphrase that for our loved ones? I could no longer do it alone and you helped me clothe myself. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Could I, could I paraphrase that? I could no longer live in my own home. And you came to visit me. Are you with me? Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink and, and so forth? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, family members, you did for me. Oh, I applaud you who care for your loved ones and your family members. And I hope you find great encouragement that as you do for them, you feed them when they're hungry. You give them drink when they're thirsty. You help them clothe. You take them in. You go and visit. It's as doing unto the Lord Jesus. That's what he's saying to you caregivers. As you have done unto them, you have done it unto me. Amen. Oh. More pointed scripture to our conversation would be 1 Timothy 4, 4 and verse 8. But if, I, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, 
These should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever, an infidel. What a powerful scripture that speaks of godliness and righteousness. If you want to go to scripture and find a plan uh, for aging and caring for the old, old, or those among us and in our families, you go to this scripture. And what's God's plan? What's God's instruction? I suggest to you that 1 Timothy is saying God's plan is that family takes care of family. That's what I read in that passage. And you know from the research that I've studied and from the families I know, I would suggest to you that most families I know wouldn't have it any other way. That their loved one would live independently for as long as they can live independently, and then as the needs grow greater, that family takes care of family. That's been my observation, and I think the research supports that. Most, More often than not, families prefer to take care of their own. You with me? Are those some good biblical principles, foundation for what we'll be talking about over the next few weeks as we look at maybe a bit of what we know about aging and caregiving for loved ones in later life. I'm talking a lot here. Anybody got a comment, thought? I want to invite you to, hey, as we go along, successful aging. How would you define successful aging? Maybe let me pause here and uh, you, how would you define that? What does it mean to age successfully? It's a good research question, right? It is. What would you say? Anybody? Attitude, like, can I maintain a positive attitude about life? You know, uh, how many of you have known someone that's kind of gotten old and bitter, gotten old and cynical? You know, Wanda and I have this conversation uh, uh, more often these days, Lord willing, we live into what's called old, old. I, I don't want to get old and bitter. I don't want to get old and cynical, right? I want to keep a right attitude. I like that. Anybody else? What does it mean to age successfully? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay.
Yes. Oh, I like that. It's like, hey, um, think in terms of retirement as an opportunity to continue to invest yourself in meaningful and purposeful endeavors, right? Yeah, I'm with you there. Have no desire to go sit on a stump somewhere or to just play all the time. I don't have any desire to just play all the time. A little, maybe a little more, but... Uh, really have a meaningful retirement years, purposeful retirement years. Anybody else? Last call. Successful aging. Yes, sir. I like the idea of being able to accept your advanced aging, perhaps your growing limitations that come with that, Perhaps your growing dependency that comes with that. You see, some people as they age simply fight it. They fight any increased need, any increased dependency. Let me just use the word. They fight it. And Wanda and I have had that conversation like, hey, I hope we don't fight our growing dependency that that oftentimes becomes a burden, listen to me, a burden on those who would help, is your resistance to my help. You with me? You make it harder on me because you will not allow me to do for you. It'd be less stressful for me if you would simply give me permission to do some of the things that are more difficult for you to do. Amen? I know that's hard from the other end but necessary. Hey, all of those are excellent, and we'll probably chase those further. Uh, let me give you a simple definition of successful aging that uh, I learned from teenagers in drug rehab. <laughs> they said this about happiness, and it just applies to so much in life, that I use it quite often. They said happiness is having someone to, anybody? Love, something to do, and something to hope for. That's how the kids in rehab defined happiness. It's having someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. And you know, you can apply that in many stages of life. And I said, you know, successful aging is having someone to love. That's your relationships. Something to do. That, I normally say, is your ministry. And as you get older, we maybe need to tweak that a bit. And it becomes harder to do. And it becomes more about being. Oh, your ministry is to show your children and grandchildren how to polish the fruits of the Spirit. That's your being. That's who you are. And the last one, and something to hope for. Life is a preparation for life. Life is a preparation for eternity. I have something to hope for. And so, 
as I think of successful aging. That fits very well, but as I thought about this topic of caregiving, I thought, well, you know, that fits fairly well with caregiving as well. What would I, what would I wish and hope for caregivers? Uh, successful caregiving is having someone to love. It's a labor of love. Something to do. We've already suggested it's a ministry to the lives of your loved ones and something to hope for. Hey, let me ask you, what would you hope for? In the role of a caregiver caring for a loved one, what are you hoping for? Obviously, the uh, eternal uh, meaning still exists there, but, but as a caregiver, what do you hope for your loved one? Anybody? I hope that your final years will be happy years, or how about joyful years? I hope for their what? Oh, I like that. I hope for their comfort. I hope they'll have a sense of peace at this season of life. I hope they, what, something to, how about this one? I hope for their dignity. That as a caregiver, I can do my very best. That as my loved ones grow older and older, as they become increasingly dependent, I'm going to do my best to maintain their dignity. Uh, He might not appreciate it. My father-in-law is a pretty private man, a godly man. And uh, so don't tell him, you know, what, I, what we say here stays here, okay? So don't go tell him I said this, but my father-in-law, I don't know if I've ever seen him with his socks off. He doesn't like people looking at his feet. You with me? And if he were to grow increasingly frail and dependent, Steve is going to remember part of his sense of dignity. I'll see to it. He's always got his socks on. You with me? Oh, I hope. Someone to love, something to do, something to hope for. A sense of dignity. How about this one? We just got through with a series. Um... Doug Manning is kind of an expert specialist in aging and gerontology and such. He said, if I could do any one thing for the elderly, I would give them a sense of... Sense of... Belonging. Oh, I like that. That's Peacefulness. Purpose. Hey, all of those are great. Uh, belonging peacefulness. The actual quotation from Doug Manning is, if I could do any one thing for the elderly, I would give them a sense of purpose. And I kind of hinted at that with the grandchild, right? We've been talking about grandchildren, right? It's like, hey, as long as you're living, you know, we said, right, we're in a raging battle for the hearts and minds, the faith and character of our children and grandchildren, as long as I live, I'll be going to battle for them 
I've got a sense of purpose, right? Oh, if I could do one thing for the elderly. <clears throat> Let me move us along a bit here. Successful caregiving. Oh, you see the analogy I'm trying to make. How would you define sec- uh, uh, successful caregiving? If I could do any one thing for the caregiver, I would give them a sense. He didn't say that. Actually, Steve said that. So I need to take his name off of that one. I would give them a sense of purpose. Oh, I hope you feel a great sense of purpose in caring for your loved ones. Social changes that make caregiving more difficult, perhaps challenging today. Uh, Number one, people are living longer with diseases that at one time took their lives. Anybody know what the lifespan was in 1900? Any guess out there? 40? Actually, that's pretty close. Uh, The statistic was 47. 1900, the average lifespan was 47. People live their lives, and they're up, and they're active. Oftentimes, they had diseases and ailments that they uh, had not even diagnosed, and they were up one day, and a week later, they passed away. Yeah, they did. That was pretty common, right? Whereas today, people are living longer with diseases that at one time took their lives. Anybody know what the life expectancy was at 2,000 rather than 1,900? 2,000, anybody know? It's actually pretty easy to remember because you take 1,900 and reverse it. In 2,000, the average life expectancy was 74. We went from 47 to 74, and guess what? In 2,000, what is this, 19, it's... A little bit greater than that, uh, 77, somewhere in there, right? So people are living longer than they did before. So with illnesses and diseases and such in ways that were not common in the past. And number two and three are kind of related. More people are living longer. We're dealing with numbers Uh, We are caring for multiple family members simultaneously nowadays, where that perhaps was not nearly as likely before. So we've got his his aging parents and her aging parents and our family spouse, and we're dealing with more numbers than ever before when it comes to uh, caregiving. Number four. Timing often coincides with other life transitions and stressful events. I don't hear the term as much anymore, but most all of you have heard of the the sandwich generation, haven't you? I don't hear that term being used as much anymore, but I think it's still very much applicable. Where we have perhaps children who are caring for aging parents at the same time they're dealing with the rebellious teenager in their lives. So the timing of caregiving is perhaps oftentimes more stressful these days as we have other demands on us and our family. We have other stressful events that are taking place in our lives. 
dual career families and a more mobile society. So now, uh, yes, uh, we're both working full-time jobs, like I was telling you about my sister-in-law, and, uh, and we're more mobile. So I'm living away from family members that need more and more of my care. Number six, less stable marriage and family relationships. So when we look at our marriages and extended families, we have much less stable marriages and extended family kinds of relationships. You with me? I'm just saying there's been some societal changes that really speak to caregiving becoming increasingly stressful. Let me uh, share where I'd like to, well, let me introduce it this way. I've already told a story or two where caregiving comes with an emotional cost, right? Maybe you could help me with that for just a moment. Maybe I could hear from a few of you. As a caregiver, I feel blank when blank. Or I feel blank because blank. How would you fill in the blank? Can anyone... I already told you, when I tried it for 30 days as a caregiver, I felt angry because Wanda was disrupting my routine. I'm, yeah... That doesn't speak well of me, but I'm being honest, right? Huh? <laughs> As a caregiver, I feel blank when, because, blank. Anybody? Okay, I feel more confident because of the strength of God, right? And we could go to a number of passages that talk about God will sustain you. Did you hear that? Uh, I feel exhausted because it's 24-7, right? For some, it is. It's 24-7. I got some more stories along those lines. I'll save them. But for some, it's 24-7. I feel exhausted, right? Last call, some other emotions that come with it. Yes, Mark. Hey, I feel frustrated because of the complexity of other commitments, of being torn and pulled and tugged in different directions, right? And that could be the needs of other family members, children and such, right? I'm, I feel frustrated. Uh, yes, sir. Oh, wow, I feel trapped because I can't tend to things, other things I need to tend to. Let's go here, then here. Wow, isn't that so true? I feel helpless because I can't make it better for them. And there are those moments when it is what it is, and you can't fix it, right? I can't take away the pain. I heard something back here. Absolutely. I feel angry because other siblings won't do their part. And yet, at the same time, 
they're willing to impose expectations and behaviors on me as a caregiver oftentimes. Right? That sounds angry. Yes. Right, absolutely. Right. Wow, I feel drained. I feel emotionally exhausted. because. And part of what I hear, heard you say is because my loved one or the one I'm caring for doesn't appreciate what I'm doing for them or may not say they appreciate what I'm doing for them. I saw a hand way back. Yes, sir. Yes. It's like, hey, look, when we're dealing with issues of aging, there are, thi there, are some, there are some things where it's like, I just don't have the answers. And as a matter of fact, uh, they're not making any problems. It really speaks to the importance of simply coping at times. We're not going to fix this, but we need to cope. Or I feel really angry um, because I can't find solutions. There seems to be no solution to this. You with me? Well, here's where we want to go. And uh, uh, as usual, it takes me longer to get there than planned. Now, look what I'm going to share with you. Uh, we'll start next week. You must recognize that emotional and physical health cannot exist unless what is necessary to make it exist is done first. In other words... If you're going to maintain your own emotional health and physical health and well-being as a caregiver, you've got to put in place the expectations. You've got to go about that in such a way that maintains your health and well-being. Are you with me? So I went to, here's what I did. I went to a fine Christian lady who had come talk to my classes. She cared for aging parents for 20 years consecutive years. And the problem I had when she came, in a, in a good way, when she came and spoke to my classes, listen to me, she did it for 20 years. And whenever she would leave after speaking to my classes, she made it sound like such a joy that I would have to correct it in a way. I'm like, I'd have to recalibrate. I'm like, hey, students, not everybody can embrace it as such a joy as what you just heard. You with me? That's the kind of person she is. Christian she is. It was a joy. So I went to her, and here's what she did. She identified me for me the irrational shoulds and self-defeating behaviors of caregivers. If you hold on to these beliefs about caregiving, you're probably going to end up ill yourself, emotionally, physically, or otherwise. You with me? So she gave me a whole list of things about caregiving. We will start class next week sharing her insights from 20 years of caregiving. Yes, one more time.
Yes. Yeah, okay. Janice is saying, hey, we're so accustomed in our culture that if we work hard enough, if we do enough, we're going to make it better. And that's simply not the case when it comes to caregiving. Typically, they get increasingly dependent, right? They pass away. They die. Next week. Love you guys.